Welcome to What is Black, the podcast where we talk about issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget. Today we have the second episode, part two of our conversation about addressing gun violence. And I thought it was important to continue the conversation based on feedback from our first episode. And I think this continued conversation is just as impactful as our prior conversation. And I hope that you get something from this conversation and that it hopes hopefully to advance the overall idea that we definitely need to do something about the growing rise in gun violence in our in our country. And unfortunately, the the disproportionate impact on black children, other children of color, and just our community in general. So let's get started with this conversation. And I would love to hear your thoughts about these two episodes. And there's a possibility that we might have a third episode again to just continue the dialogue regarding this very important topic. So let's get started with today's conversation. So I'm so excited to have another guest with us today to continue our conversation about addressing gun violence prevention. Our esteemed guest today is Dr. Chinanyelam Obi, um, who is a general pediatrician with Swedish Medical Group, a subsidiary of Providence St. Joseph Health System. Um, she completed her pediatric res- residency in general pediatrics at the University of University South of Alabama with transitional research year at Seattle Children's Hospital and inflammatory bowel disease. Um, she's currently a member of the Swedish Medical Group's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee and PSJH's Digital Innovation Group, as well as a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatric with membership in the sections of Minority Health, Equity, and Inclusion, Section of One Immigrant Health, and Advances in Therapeutics and Technology. And we're so happy to have Dr. Obi with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So our last, you know, last spoke with um, our other colleagues, Dr. Khan and Dr. Um, Abiba Selahu about this issue of um, preventing um, gun violence. And in our conversation, you know, we each shared our reflections on some of the recent events. And since that time we spoke, there have been definitely more. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts about just the reflections in general about, um, about these I feel like there are more reports of ongoing violence, most notably Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas. And, and as we've heard, there are more and more incidents recently um, in the news. Yes. Um, and yeah, really, unfortunately, this is quite a dynamic time that we're seeing with regards to gun violence and mass shooting and mass shooting events. And all of us as Americans were all affected, um, but uh, disproportionately, as you have been discussing, uh, people of color, especially Black uh, communities and minority communities have been affected by this on, an, on a greater scale. Um, my first responses to Buffalo and um, Uvalde as well, um, you know, were, I found that they were heartbreaking and sickening, but it's, it's interesting because I feel as you know, I've grown as a millennial in this uh, generation, um, you know, growing up, we had the Columbine shooting, which was something that I grew up with as a younger kid. Um, and then getting older, we had, you know, uh, random acts of violence that 
were completely unsensible. But then now as a practicing pediatrician and now this context about Black Lives Matter and those of us who are experiencing racism and now having talks around um, racism and equity, um, it, it's even more heartbreaking and sickening that such things can uh, are still happening. And it really kind of instilled a certain amount of disquiet and frustration in me um, that not only is this something that we're still seeing in this day and age being that this is 2022 and the conversations around violence and the conversations around mental health and the conversation about access to weapons is still ongoing and kind of kicked down the road. But one thing that I realized about all of this is that violence and risk for um, violence is being woven into our social fabric as an American. Um, you know, violence on a mass scale is a, unfortunately quite a long-standing part of our culture. And so um, I feel that, you know, what we're seeing in response to this is, is general conversations to, in, to enhance health, but then at the same fact, um, we're getting pushback against, you know, uh, gun reform with those that have interest in, in, in promoting the comfort and stock in harmful tr traditions that are American, which is gun ownership or uninhibited gun ownership. Um, even in the past protesting racism, I felt that, uh, you know, we were protesting and, and folks were against it because it felt like we were protesting what it meant to be American. And, and quite unfortunately, this is where things are going. Um, again, like I was saying, risk has been woven into our American fabric. And so, um, you know, being raised here in the United States as a Nigerian person, I felt that the most important thing that we had to think of when we were kids was looking both ways before we crossed the street or not talking to strangers. But now with even recent events, it's how can we talk about things that are um, uncertain for our children? Um, when they see something, who should they say it to? Um, you know, are you feeling bullied enough to want to hurt other people? Um, don't go buy a gun. These are strange conversations that we're having to have with children and having to explain the world around them. And it, it's really quite unfortunate. Oh, I mean, I think your, um, your perspective is, I think is really, um, really informative to the discussion we're going to have today, because again, we talk about um, this complexity of gun violence. And I think the conversation um, with our prior guests, I think really underscored the complexity of the discussion. I think, you know, some of the, the means of, of sort of addressing gun violence that some of our legislators have proposed seem to be sort of, they're around, right? They're circumventing the actual real reason we're having these issues, right? And I'm not, it's not to say that, you know, for me, my personal experience, right? My personal thoughts are that I think mental health is an important part of the conversation, but it doesn't stop there. Um, this dichotomy of a good person with a gun will match a bad person, quote unquote, a bad person with a gun as a way to sort of deal with this, or even to sort of really create a a citadel and the school system, right? You know, let's let's barricade the kids in. So I almost feel like, again, and I've mentioned this before, it's almost like a victimization of the people that want, they want their freedom, right? They want to be able to, you know, to be kids, right? I mean, that freedom to just be a kid and to go to, go to safe places, go to a grocery store, um, you know, participate in, um, you know, 
in the streets, you know, festivals in the streets, right? And not feel unsafe. And so I feel like some of the measures are really about, um, they say it's protecting people, but I feel like it's not protecting the people that really need to be protected. And so I'm just, I'm still getting this complexity of the discussion and, you know, having our, having our further discussion today, you know, really talking about a little bit deeper about this idea of how gun violence and this idea of gun violence prevention, how can that really, how can we look at it for communities of color, um, children, children of color? So I just wanted to have a little bit more of that conversation, um, especially, you know, since we talked at the last, our last um, episode, that the data really show that communities of color are disproportionately impacted and affected. And knowing that there's this disproportionality, you know, you, you talked about, you talk about racism, so structural racism, how that might play a role. But I just wanted to get your thoughts about how do we discuss these impacts, um, the effects of gun violence in our communities and on BIPOC children? Right. So when it comes to, and to even piggyback on what you were saying, so that our children can actually feel safe going to school, being in safe places, um, as we even briefly mentioned before we, we started recording, even going to a hospital should be able to be something that someone should feel safe about. But when it comes to, um, to looking at the data, um, looking at one study that was published by the Boston University back in uh, March, I think it was on March or uh, 14th, what they did show was that even in the five years before the pandemic began, Black children compared to white children were already at a significant higher rate of uh, being risked for exposure to firearm violence. And so um, the New England Journal of Medicine actually even uh, published that from 2019 to 2020, um, that uh, there has been such an increased relative risk in, um, in firearm-related deaths in all groups, particularly children of color uh, and children uh, for suicide, um, for, with suicide, uh, homicide, even unintentional and undetermined deaths among children and adolescents. And this was about, um, a 29.5%. And then since the pandemic, that there has been even two times of that as high as an increase in this uh, particular group in comparison to um, others. So when we're talking about uh, children and children of color, uh, we are, they are at risk. Um, and so what this means and how I look at this data is that we have a position of crisis. We have a population in crisis. And so whenever there is an area where we're missing something, this is where we need to focus attention. Um, and so what can be done with regards to, uh, to neighborhoods of color? Um, what, can be, be done, what can be done to prevent uh, those children either having exposure to um, um, unintentional death? And sometimes we have seen this even play out over the media. Uh, with regards to shootouts, for example, between um, uh, police and a uh, perpetrator, and then unfortunately a child gets shot in the process of that. How can we um, improve uh, 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 risk prevention measures uh, so that these children are not impacted in anything like that? And that even that comment is layered because there are so many layers there with regards to how, um, how uh, uh, certain perpetrators are even approached by police too, but what can be done to address young um, children of color? And so therefore, what I have noticed that I've seen here, especially in the state of Washington, is that we've uh, done a lot of advocacy with regards to uh, firearm prevention, 
um, and firearm teaching, at least with those who may have access um, to uh, guns at home um, or access in, to uh, uh, gun-related uh, gun related, um, um, or neighbors with, with possible uh, firearm access. So Washington State, uh, the chapter of the American uh, Academy of Pediatrics here, um, we have partnered with the Alliance on Gun Responsibility. Um, and what this does is it focuses on ending gun violence crises in our communities by um, partnering with other um, uh, civil rights leaders, experts, and citizens, um, hoping to advocate at least at the end of the day for uh, gun responsibility. So um, what this actually ends up looking like is, uh, for example, in 2018, we raised the age to purchase semi-automatic uh, assault rifles um, and other weapons um, uh, through one particular measure that was I-1639. Um, in 2016, we uh, created an extreme uh, risk protection order uh, to try to prevent the amount of um, those who can get uh, access to weapons without a credible background check. So we were closing um, some of those background check loopholes. Um, public education, um, we have actually even partnered with um, our school board so that we can teach uh, people about, um, uh, you know, fears about gun violence, uh, gun um, access, access to weapons, how to uh, safely and anonymously report, um, for example, in school, if someone has a weapon or they know someone in their family has a weapon, who they can come forth to um, to discuss about that with their school counselor. Um, school counselor then puts in a ping to, um, to law enforcement. Law enforcement pings back to uh, the person lets them, or to the gun owner, lets them know that, hey, there, we do know that you have a gun, is it registered, um, and all of that. Um, so while this isn't a way to completely end, um, uh, you know, uh, negligent gun ownership, at least it, it kind of helps with regards to reform. Um, and then from the medical standpoint, um, we do have um, all patient safe training uh, for all medical providers. Uh, so that we can talk to uh, our patients about um, uh, uh, suicide prevention, homicide prevention, um, and ways to uh, seek help uh, should they um, have access to weapons. Um, then for uh, Washington State, we also do have a firearm tragedy prevention network. And so this was developed in 2016 to provide a forum for organizations, individuals, and different businesses to provide a wide range of perspectives and backgrounds to work together to prevent firearm tragedies. So again, um, uh, really advocating gun safety, uh, really advocating for uh, gun legislation and reform, and then um, at the end of the day, uh, patient safety as well. Oh, that's amazing. Because, um, you know, our last conversation, the last episode, we did talk about like the role of pediatricians in addressing gun violence prevention. And I mean, I love the fact that your state, um, your state's chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics has worked um, with other organizations. Like you said, the Alliance on um, gun, gun Violence Prevention. Yeah, gun for the Alliance for Gun Responsibility. Oh, gun responsibility. Okay, so I think that's important. And I think what what that really really says, right, is that in order for us to do the to do this work, right, mm -hmm. it's not going to be one agency alone, you know, one person alone that's doing this. It really really does have to be like all hands on deck. Absolutely. To to do the work. Now, I don't know if by chance if there 
there's been any um, evaluation of some of the some of the the laws that have been enacted in Washington State in terms of you know the different you know positive or no change as a result of enacting some of those some of the laws that Washington State has enacted. Right. Um, and right now, I honestly, I can only say that we're kind of looking at the data still. I think we had um, a chapter meeting a couple of weeks ago where um, some of this information was brought up um, and we're still looking generally at the trends here. So um, I would be interested to see, you know, exactly, you know, had this actually helped. Um, but quite unfortunately, this year, there have been a few gun scares um, in the Washington state. Thankfully, um, no actual uh, gun-related events, but um, there still have been a few episodes. I, I think we've had about two or three um, uh, active shooter or, or somehow some sort of school threat um, that has been, um, that have been relayed to the media. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, this may mean that maybe quite unfortunately we're we're talking about numbers coming down and three is is a good number um but uh there's still much that that can be done so um i'd be happy to to take a look at data and see um how far along we've come with uh, some of these interventions i know many of the interventions that um, washington state has um, implemented are some recommendations similar recommendations from the from the American County of Pediatrics, you know, the organization that we are we're part of that represents um, pediatricians, professional organization for pediatricians. So again, I know there is evidence for these um, for these laws, right? And in, in, in terms of um, gun reform. Um, so, but what's interesting, right, is that not each state, you know, is really left up right now to each state to come up with ways to address this and because each state has yeah there's inconsistent there's not there's not consistency across each state so what one state does hopefully becomes a model for another state and says oh you know what kids are important people are important let's let's make some changes right that's i think that's the ultimate hope that's my hope right is that it comes down to like oh you know we want to save people's lives and we want to make sure kids feel safe and and can be kids right that should be that should be like the common conversation, I think. But I think we kind of are missing the boat sometimes as a as a as a as a country overall and having the, having those discussions. So I wanted to go into that a little bit more. This idea of how we can help our families um, sort of deal with these tragedy tra- um, tragedies um, and maybe some solutions that you know, we can help them, like to advocate advocate on behalf of their families. Um, in their community. Right. So it, it um, you know, right after the, the school shooting in um, Uvalde, I did talk with some of my parents and family members and things like that about um, how their kids are feeling. Um, and I did try to incorporate that with each of my well visits. For example, when a school-age child came in, it was more so like, okay, how are you feeling? Uh, what are your parents, what is going on at home? Um, have your kids seen the news? Um, what kind of questions have they asked about it? Um, and so most of the time it was more so of an encouraging of, you know, hey, you know, talk to your child, see how they're feeling at school. Do they feel safe at school? Do they feel safe at home? Um, then it really it, it comes down to age too when it comes to uh, discussing about um tragedies that do happen in the world um, to their kids. So for example, 
Um, if you have a, a younger child, um, early school age, uh, talking to them about, hey, something dangerous happened at um, a school. I do want to let you know that you are safe here and I'm doing everything to keep you safe as a parent, speaking as a parent here, um, or uh, hypothetically speaking as a parent here, uh, that we're doing the best that we can to keep you safe here, but something did happen that was bad um, and some people got very hurt. Um, and so, uh, you know, letting them have an understanding that, you know, this wasn't okay, but of course not going into deep um, discussion about it with someone in a, an age that may not even be able to comprehend either death or um, or safety to begin with, it, you know, just being able to parse that out a little bit is, is important. Then for a child that's a little bit older, say um, uh, older grade age, uh, grade school age child, um, saying where it happened, talking about the events that happened, but not even in the greatest detail is all that important, but at least just letting them know that this happened um, and someone did a very bad thing. Um, and so these children, unfortunately, were killed as a result. Um, but then um, as a parent uh, talking about that, uh, they are safe at home, they are safe at their school. Um, parents are going to do what they need to do to, pre to prevent this from happening, which means talking with their school teachers, talking with their school board about what kinds of preventative measures their schools are taking with regards to this, and then reinforcing um, if their child does not feel okay to come talk to the doctor, um, and then so on and so forth. Um, depending on um, what their child is able to muster and mentally handle and understand. Um, another thing that I have encouraged parents to do is to ask their teens to come to the doctor and talk with them or see a school counselor if they are uh, gravely affected. Some of the ways that children parse through um, stress and, and trying to understand what has gone on are, is going to manifest differently even by age. So younger children may not eat well, they may not sleep well, they might have um, uh, uh, even changes all the way down to bowel movement interruptions. Um, uh, we might even see some incontinence, uh, reversion of some of the skill sets they uh, previously had. So that should be an indication sometimes even if uh, there isn't spoken trauma that's going on that parents can kind of look at and see um, this might be a flag for a child to be brought in uh, for an older child they may again not sleep not eat very well but then they might also express some despair um, with regards to uh, feeling helpless or hopeless um, this will be another reason why a child would need to come in, at least so that we can see what ways we can and um, we can help them, what resources can be provided. So, uh, again, basically just uh, going through all the different ways that we can um, manage um, or we can address uh, grief, uh, trauma and um, difficulty understanding uh, traumatic events with children. Um, particularly in children of color, it's, it's most important for us to uh, be able to assess for these things. So again, those social determinants of health, um, toxic stressors that they might be exposed to, and then what best ways, resources in that community that we can um, instill safety um, and understanding for them, especially after a traumatic event. So I think the information that you shared um, for parents, I think is going to be so, so important for them. Because again, I'm thinking about, you know, this generation of kids, right? And the yeah, I mean, there have been now several generations, like a couple of generations of kids who have had to, you know, since Columbine to now, right, to present, have had to, you know, learn to 
learn to adapt and live with this this issue of of, of gun violence in schools, but just this whole idea of, you know, how our society is dealing with gun violence in general. And unfortunately, you know, kids are definitely, definitely impacted. If people don't believe it, they are impacted. Um, Their families are impacted. And I think the things that we can do um, collectively um, as pediatricians, our role as pediatricians, our role as um, leaders in the community and working with other organizations to uh, ensure that we can um, create a more safer place for kids to to live and so that they can thrive. I think is amazing. I agree. Um, something else that uh, kind of just came to mind, especially when it comes to children of color, um, and I was also thinking about how do children with complex healthcare needs uh, respond to uh, uh, situations like this, and even just thinking about how um, we've had to deal with some of our um, some of our issues with COVID, for example, not having access to certain things because everything was put at home. I was thinking about some of those, uh, about the victims of uh, the Buffalo shooting and how um, that store that was not only a central um, social uh, uh, area for those families was also um, a prime source of food and nutrition for those families as well. And after that Buffalo shooting, we saw that that area has now have um, dealing with becoming a food desert or having um, lack of access to nutrition. And so um, something to consider, especially in these, uh, in our uh, BIPOC communities, um, you know, these patients are also going to be uh, more vulnerable to depression, anxiety, um, less resources available to them, especially after a shooting, um, particularly in a shooting in a, in a, uh, in a community that, um, that these patients are um, currently part of, um, you know, lack of being able to have a provider go out there for children with complex needs, for example, for physical or occupational therapy, as we do have some of those uh, companies that do provide um, access to those homes. Now that's interrupted or that's disrupted, um, as well as when I think about these uh, children um, out um, in Texas that experienced the shooting, um, so what could have been summer school or extra childcare is now disrupted as well. Uh, so for these communities of color um, that don't have many other resources to go to, um, the ramifications can be quite large. So um, uh, it, it steps up to our pediatricians, not only our parents, but our pediatricians, and then our uh, local communities, governments, um, and um, even state uh, legislatures to be able to provide um, access to um, to uh, essential services, especially for families during this time during times of, of trauma and stress. So again, under underscoring this idea, one of the complexity of addressing um, gun violence prevention, but also really also making sure that we also have an equity lens on whatever on whatever interventions. Um, are determined because that makes a difference. Because, I mean, you can make one, you know, make change one law, mm-hmm. but then there could be ripple effects that negatively impact um, communities, communities of color, um, under-resourced communities, um, you know, impoverished communities. I mean, so it all has a, it all has an impact, right? So when we go, right. when people try to come up with, you know, one one size fits all in terms of, reform, we got to think about, you know, there, there might be consequences if you don't really have everyone at the table that should be at the table to really 
think about how do we how do we really make a difference and and help help uh, help communities? Absolutely. So, Dr. Obi, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for um, for joining me today. And as we talked earlier before the taping, this really is an ongoing conversation. Um, yeah, and it will continue to be an ongoing conversation. Quite unfortunately, but I am uh, very, very happy to have contributed to what you're doing and bringing attention to this. And, um, you know, with conversation uh, comes a solution. So hopefully um, through all of this and those um, listening in, uh, we can come to um, multimodal uh, conclusions and solutions to, to help this ongoing crisis. Thank you for listening to today's episode. It was our part two in our series talking about preventing and addressing gun violence. The editing and music for this episode was by Manny Simone. We want to grow our community, so please tell a friend about the podcast, rate and review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at What is Black. That's W-H-A-T-I-S-B-L-K. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please also check out our website at whatisblack.co to learn about our work and to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date about our exciting projects, our, our upcoming documentary, Reading in Black, which celebrates Black children's literature. And until next time, wishing you peace, wellness, and joy, and a reminder that you're seen and matter.